some people decry the ability to get some beers easily now they're like they, they, yeah. you know, they only liked it when it was cool and like hard well, to get but screw them you know i know well i kind of i mean but i i don't necessarily agree i'm not saying i agree but i kind of get it like it does feel spe- <laughs> it was kind of cool when like a pliny showed up at whole foods at whole foods yeah. or the market yeah and couldn't buy more than one or whatever and like it was oh you just happened to go at the right time or you found it kind of there was something fun about that yeah the east Obviously, it's preferable to just be able to buy the beer you want to get. Yeah. It's like shoes. I cooked with beer, Rich. I cooked with beer, and you can tell me if this was a smart beer to use or not a smart beer. I was cooking sirloin, and I needed a marinade. Like a sirloin. So I was going to marinade with Mm -hmm. beer, which I've done in the past. From what I've read, it is somewhat effective, at least in leading to a tender meat. But I used a pineapple sour from Thorn Street Brewery. Mm-hmm. I would say the meat was very tender. Are you approving so far, uh, Rich? Are, are you just listening? Are you just listening? I want to know if you're approving. And I will say there was pi- it was pineapple sour. I used a little bit of Worcester sauce. I used some soy what, sauce. A little bit of what sauce? Worcestershire sauce. Yeah, I just wonder how it. you say it. Worcestershire, Worcestershire sauce. <laughs> Worcestershire. I love how you just went Worcestershire. Worcestershire. Worcestershire sauce. It's straight salt and umami. It's fantastic. So I did that, and then a little bit of garlic was in there, and then salt and pepper, obviously standard marinating stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, I'd say it was tender and it was tasty and it ultimately was a really good steak. But yeah. I was curious if I was going to get any of like the pineapple, pineapple flavor from it or anything like that. Because it's a very strong pineapple, almost okay. like sweet, sour so, ale. None of that. None of that. None of that went into the meat. Through. None of it came through. Did I use an okay ale to use? Should I use ales to marinate my, my beef? Should I use beer to marinate my beef? Maddie, do you really think this is a quick answer? <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> this is a whole episode. Uh, yes or no. All right, we'll get to marinade. That's, that's, te- that's a teaser next time, for marinade. Next time on. We can go home marinade. The things that jump out. All right, the big red flag here is that pineapple being a tropical fruit. Mm-hmm. Most most tropical fruits have enzymes that break down flesh. Yeah. And so okay. you, your steak can get tender in a hurry and too tender very easily. So when you marinate stuff with tropical fruit, you have to be careful about the, the you know, if you're using steak or using some sort of flesh, it can basically degrade almost entirely. So be careful about that. Uh, if you want your steak to taste like pineapple, <laughs> you would probably be more successful in just making a pineapple sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That beer also sounds expensive. So it's not necessarily a beer I would want a steak to drink. I would rather drink it myself and marinate with something similar, but a little gotcha. bit less expensive. Maybe. I don't think it's too bad. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, but what would you, and I know this is, is a long answer, but what, what, what would you say is a good beer to marinate your steak in? Well, it depends how you're cooking it. You know, if you're cooking it. Well, I was going to say, I was kind of hoping, I was like, oh, maybe I'll get a little teriyaki something out of this if I mm-hmm. do, if I do this. Did not. <laughs> Did I not. will admit that I, oh, I like the idea. I like that idea. I never use beer to marinate stuff. Okay. Um, I'm scared of using a lot of acid when I marinate mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Um, its short-term effect is to actually tighten up proteins. So it makes steak tougher. Uh, if you let it sit long enough, then the, then the acid will eventually break down some of those proteins and let it relax. Beer is not nearly as acidic as most wines are, for instance, but I typically just use salt, pepper, and, you know, a, onion or garlic and stuff like that. I'm yeah. good enough with that. I can't help myself. Me too. I can't help me myself. Too, I just saying. want to, I, every time I always, whatever I've got in the fridge or in the pantry, I'm going to throw some stuff in and see how it goes. <laughs> well, you're more creative than I am, I guess. Well, I also to, just like yeah. to drink beer. <laughs> Sorry, well, you I don't drink, like to drink I drink other beers with it. I had more beer. <laughs> okay. I hope so. <laughs> Welcome to Liquid Bread. I'm Maddie Smith. With me, as always, are my buddy, Larry Bates. What to do? And my hey, other Larry. buddy, Master <laughs> Cicerone and Steward of Stouts, Rich Higgins. What to do, Rich? That one really 
tripped off the tongue there. <laughs> I, re- I had to, I, for, I, Steward of Stouts. I, kid, I forgot to, to figure out one beforehand. Uh, we prefer flight attendant of Stouts these oh, days. Oh, there we go. Ah. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> All right, look. Today, a long episode, guys. <laughs> No, this is going to rule because we're talking about one of our favorites. We'll they're, all, they're all our favorites. They're all our children. But today we're talking about stouts. Larry, do you like stouts? I love stouts. You do? Yeah, and actually I'm drinking one now. And I'm, as I'm drinking it, I was like, God, I, I should drink this. I should drink stouts more. What are you drinking? Um, what did you say this was called? Um, <laughs> it's it a KBS. Big on the front. I know. It's Founders <laughs> KBS. Mm-hmm. And the KBS stands for what? Kentucky Breakfast Stout. Kentucky Breakfast Stout. And this motherfucking beer is good. That's nice. I am mad at it. Rich, do you ever drink stouts for breakfast? There's a lot of breakfast stouts. I don't I don't drink them routinely for breakfast, but I have had plenty of beers before the time most people think it's advisable to have beer. So um, I don't think it's a bad idea. The, the breakfast idea there with those stouts is that it's got coffee in it. It's got things you normally wait, wait eat a minute. for breakfast. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You don't <laughs> usually have beer for breakfast? Well, not I've usually, had beer I'll for admit. breakfast with you. I, I, that's not common. <laughs> oh, it's just because it's just when people are visiting, yeah, you may have. special I see. occasion. Mm. I, yeah, during mm-hmm. during COVID, no one visits, so I, I've been dry. I know Rich. Time. I know Rich Higgins. It's <laughs> always a good time to have a beer. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Unless In college, you know, we used to throw you know kegs and eggs parties. We'd throw. Uh, Kegs and eggs, Benedict. <laughs> so wow. instead of focusing on, because I didn't know anything about beer back then, I just was excited about food and we had the cheapest, crappiest beer, and then we try to amp up the uh, the excitement by actually having good food with it. I hear you. But nowadays, I like both. So, but anyway, the idea behind a breakfast stout is that it has breakfasty foods or beverages in them, and so it usually has coffee, sometimes maple syrup, um, you know, like pancakey sort of ingredients and all that stuff, and it really pave the way for the, the the pastry stout. So Larry, what you're drinking there is, you know, it's a it's a riff on Founders Breakfast Stout, which is like the proto pastry stout. So it ends up tasting sort of like pancakes and coffee, you yeah. know, with syrup and stuff like that and sweet and chocolate. It really does. And then and then the Kentucky part is that it's aged in bourbon barrels. So that's the the bourbony side to that one. There's a Canadian breakfast stout that's aged in maple syrup, well, bourbon barrels that were then used to age maple syrup. And then emptied out, and then aged. Uh, the beer was aged in it, so there's no end to the number of riffs that you can you can make off that. One time, the only beer I think, or the most breakfasty beer I ever had, unfortunately, it wasn't a stout. I don't think. I think it was like kind of a take on a Rausch beer, maybe because mm-hmm. it was super smoky. Um, it was nice. like this brewery down in like the San Diego area called I think Arcane Brewing or Arcana Brewing. Mm-hmm. The idea was like an American breakfast, I think, and so it was. It had the smoky flavor, made it like a bacon. It was mm-hmm. like bacon, and then it had like a maple flavor added, and it really, works. it really did nail this maple syrup and bacon flavor. And I feel like well, that would Maddie, go nicely with brunch. I need to ask you: Do you like maple syrup and bacon? I do. The real deal. Yeah, nice. I do too. Uh, the uh, when you say a full American breakfast or a traditional American breakfast, it makes me think of a, a full British breakfast, which is uh, oh. like sausages, yeah, baked bunch of beans, meat, like tomatoes. Well, right yeah, there. bunch of meat, tomatoes, and baked <laughs> beans are the the kind of the oddballs. And I would love to make a, a British breakfast stout. <laughs> See how we can recreate baked bean flavor and tomato flavor. Sounds awful, actually. Larry, but. I know, is like in his head, it's like I could. No, I was I just, could, I I was just thinking, it. like you know, because uh, you know, I've, I've been, I, I have been drinking some stouts lately, and I've been, I started ordering from the bagel broker over here, mm-hmm. man, and their bagels are insane, and they have like salt bagels, which I love. 
and I love to get them really toasty. And like it's really, I mean, it's what I love about like this, these beers, like the especially the stouts. Like it brings out that kind of like toasty flavor. I mean, I'm not, yeah, you know, I'm just saying like whenever I'm doing anything toasty, like with toasted bread, and like I can just, ugh, and it just mixes so well in my mouth. And also with a burger, mm-hmm. with a fucking burger, like a char, <laughs> like a burger that's been on a grill, that's been charred, and like. I, I love a stout when I have a burger. Awesome. I know we weren't awesome. doing pairing, but I'm just telling just you. You asked me that I like stouts. You asked me. No, you looking at me like a, ask me if I like stouts. I'm trying to tell you I like stouts. No, Especially I think you're doing great. I'm not. Oh, okay. I was not. I was not a critic. Sometimes I jumped the gun, guys. Maddie was. Maddie was giving me the side eye. No, in my head I might have been story. a little bit thinking of like, okay, how do I segue this to the. <laughs> The next part, but I think that was great. I thought nothing. I, I give you 100%. I give but you bur- especially, uh, I, I, I love ordering stouts when I'm having Burgers a good burger. Is, yeah. 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 Is that crazy, Rich? That's totally crazy. You're doing it entirely wrong. Yeah. Mm. I knew it. I knew wrong. it. That's why I love it. Well, after this episode, maybe you'll know how to do a stout right. Um, but for first, Burgers before, and stouts are incredible. <laughs> before we get to, well, there's also, there's a burger place in LA called Stout. I don't know if it's actually. I, I don't, I, probably just oh, the word stout. I don't know if it's actually the beer, but they do have a lot of beer. Do they have beer? I never too? thought about it. Yeah, I never thought about that. It's kind of like a it's kind of like a beer burger bar-y place. Yeah. When are we going? Right after this episode. Okay, we'll go after this. Okay, so before we get to stouts, a little update on a subject we touched on a couple weeks ago. Uh, Bob Peace, the president and CEO of the Brewers Association, announced the formation of the Brewing Respect and Unity Coalition, or Brew. The goal of the Brew Coalition is to combat sexual harassment and discrimination in the beer industry. Uh, So this is a big response to what we said, all the stories coming out about sexual harassment and discrimination in the workplace. Obviously, I believe the word Rich passed on was it was time for a reckoning. I I borrowed that from from the the author (laughs) of the article. A reckoning? (laughs) Um, And now it's time for the awakening. So according to Pease, we'll just read this real quick. COVID-19 is not the only disease that has afflicted our communities, harmed our businesses, and our employees. We as a community, and we are by no means alone in this, have suffered under the cloud of racism, sexism, discrimination based on gender identity, sexual harassment, even assault for far too long. This scourge of discrimination has festered and held us back as a community, as individual businesses, and as human beings. It is time for an awakening. The Brew Coalition hopes to adopt an industry-wide set of best practices that are proven to reduce harassment, discrimination, and violence, and compile and share tools and resources that enable industry members to adopt best practices. Uh, so that's yeah. what's going on with that. Baby Hell steps. Hell yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's, not that's baby stuff. step. Big, big good steps. Um, and I will say, um, I know, like, I feel like there are people who are like, oh, I don't want to hear politics with X, Y, Z, whatever thing that I enjoy. But I always feel like those people should, like, be on board with this kind of story. Absolutely. Because mm-hmm. when you don't have the sexual discrimination, you won't have to hear about it. And we could just go straight <laughs> from Larry's <laughs> burgers Burger and stouts it. to the history of stouts. Yeah. There you go. Um, let me give you just a, a little bit of context on this. Um, when when Bob Pease talks about uh, community here, you know, he he's the president and CEO of the Brewers Association, which is represents, you know, thousands of breweries in the United States. And then beyond that, it's also a uh, the, the BRU coalition is a coalition of multiple founding groups, including not only the Brewers Association, but including the Master Brewers Association of the Americas and the American Society of Brewing Chemists, two extremely important uh, professional groups within um, within the beer industry. Um, also, the Pink Boots Society, which is a, uh, a group of female uh, identi- identifying, I should say, I don't want to say they have to be women, but the female identifying brewers as well as uh, the Cicerone certification program is, is involved in this as well. So it's a, it's a big tent effort. Good stuff. And so uh, let's move on to stouts. What do you say? Let's talk stouts. I'm all about it. All right. First, we'll start with a little history lesson. All right. 
little sit back, relax, pour yourself a warm and toasty, roasty stout. Stout. One of the earliest distinctions many learn as far as beer styles go is the difference between a porter and a stout. And that's because the histories of the two are wrapped up in one another. In some ways, porter is like stout's dad. Another way to look at it is stout is like the Facebook to porter's MySpace, a very close offshoot that eventually overtook its forebear in popularity and pervasiveness. I met my Ooh. wife. I met my wife Ooh. on MySpace. <laughs> did you really? I did. That's like meeting your wife over a porter. That's nothing wrong yeah. with it. That's great. I think we might have had a porter too. That no, we didn't. But we, I mean, she <laughs> likes porters. We could have. <laughs> Sorry, Rich. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure about uh, if that's if that's kosher to say that uh, that stout has overtaken porter necessarily. Porter was. Porter had like a huge reign globally as an enormously popular beer for for centuries, you know, for like 300 years. And stout really didn't really has never like taken off except for like the, the global dominance of Guinness. So mm. Guinness is like one brand. Yeah. You know, there are other famous brands, but they're not nearly as dominant as Guinness. So Porter is Porter okay. is kind of king overall. I feel like that's that's a very Vonnegut time, you know, time's flat or whatever. Take <laughs> Because now it's more popular, but now, but I'd say now more though, literary, more literary man than I am. Well done. But I'd say, but no, no, but I'd say like now, now though, like stouts are, you know, porters are not. You don't see a lot of porters. No, unfortunately, you don't, and you don't see tons of stouts either. But when, uh, if any of our listeners are like, "What the hell?" He's forgetting about you know Kentucky breakfast stout and things like that. They're the popular craft beer stouts these days are imperial stouts and pastry stouts, which are totally different than most other stouts that have been around for you know most of yeah. most of history. So. While a couple of sources have been used here, such as beer writer Michael Jackson and the Oxford Companion to Beer, and, of course, Master Sister on Rich Higgins, uh, this is going to draw most heavily from Martin Cornell's book, Amber, Black and Gold, The History of Britain's Great Beers, uh, which is a very fantastic, a very easy-to-read history of beer in the UK. awesome book. Martin's a good dude, man. He's a real good dude. You know him? No, I don't. I just just assume he's a good dude. (laughs) It's a great book. Uh, So let's start with Porter, which Rich is right. It was king, and it, you know, if we... If we count 400 years, it dominated. <laughs> I said 300. Now I'm sitting here doing that. But I'm, I'm including the extra 100 200, from now till. <laughs> ah. All right. So let's start with Porter. We're amazing historians here. We're Everyone down. must trust us. <laughs> <laughs> the Swiss travel writer César François de Saussure wrote, It is a thick and strong beverage, and the effect it produces, if drunk in excess... Uh, is the same as that of wine. This porter costs three pence a put. Why is he so creepy? I'm actually, is, I'm actually pretty proud of that. I'm actually pretty. Proud. It's very seductive. <laughs> you read it like a romance audiobook. <laughs> yeah. Is that how Fabio talks? <laughs> He's the sexy romantic lead. For those overly charmed, yeah, he calls out wine in there, but it, he also calls out the the price of porter, which was very affordable, and porter was. The wildly popular was wildly popular with London's working class as a very affordable way to get drunk. Uh, in the 18th century, porter was huge, not just in the UK, but across the world. Uh, of course, when we say the world in history, it means the British colonial world, uh, from the penal colony of Australia to India, where it wasn't just IPAs being slammed, to colonial, colonial America, as we discussed in our previous incredibly well-titled episode, The Washington and the Hare, uh, where George Washington himself was a bit of a beer buff. Uh, In a 1750 poem about Porter's inventor, Ralph Harwood, Jay Gutteridge wrote, Harwood, my townsman. He invented first Porter to rival wine and quench the thirst. Porter, which spreads itself half the world o'er, whose reputation rises more and more. As long as Porter shall preserve its fame, 
Let all with gratitude our parish name. That was nice. I liked him more than the creepy Swiss dude. However, this is killing me, Maddie. It's, yeah. I know you're setting up for, for a, a switcheroo here, but it's killing me. Oh, Go. it's crushing you? Release, yeah, because I, 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 I was wondering if... Rich, yeah. So now, never mind. Now, Harwood likely was not the inventor of Porter. That's just another one of those... He was not the inventor. He was very much not the inventor of Porter. It's what everyone believes. I'm not... I don't want to be associated with this podcast for even mentioning that he was the inventor of Porter. <laughs> I call it out. It's a switcheroo. <laughs> now they'll definitely remember it. They'll remember he's not. Harwood is a fraud. Hashtag Harwood fraud. His brewery wasn't even in the top 20 London brewers in the late 1700s. It's just one of those things where someone gets a reputation... Uh, which happens a whole lot in beer, <laughs> uh, so, but uh, but so we, we kind of set it up. Super popular drink. Rich, do you have a, do we have an idea of what a porter was like in the 1700s? Uh, we do have an idea. Um, however, it changed over the century. Porter, I mean, you know, when you're when you're a beer style that's going to be around for a few hundred years, it's going to ebb and well, I shouldn't say ebb and flow, but it's going to change and evolve with time. So. For much of the 1700s, Porter was basically, it was very dark and it was five to 7% alcohol or so kind of, kind of on the stronger end. And, um, it was really kind of roasty, but also smoky and had a lot of, it was built on brown malt and brown malt is not really a, a malt that's commonly used nowadays, certainly, but also, uh, I think we're going to get into this a little bit later in the episode, but brown malt basically took a dive and uh, ended up getting replaced by some other, other stuff. So brown malt was known for being smoky, uh, brown, not very efficient to use. So you have to use tons of it in your beer. So the beer gets very full bodied and leaves a little bit of sweetness left over. It's just a, it's not really the way we describe Porter nowadays. Is, is there any, I just have, is there anybody that makes a Porter with, with brown malt? The, it's around. Kind of that throw throwback to that. Yeah, it's around, but honestly, brown malt that's made nowadays is not made the way it was 300 years ago, which is you know not really surprising. But that that old smoky malt, it sort of it was like popcorn. Like you know when you when you roast popcorn and heat up popcorn, eventually it can explode. Yes, and that's what we eat. That's the popcorn. So you could have this blown malt. That it was called. It would like blow open because it was so hot. And during that heating process, it would often, um, it would, it would burn and get smoky. So brown malt is not only a description of the color, but also this kind of explosive smoky burning process. And so brown malt that you get nowadays is not made like that. I see. And I don't know if you can get that stuff anywhere except for some like special, special order, special run for some special project. But a couple of years ago, probably, gosh, feeling old now, maybe 10 or eight, eight or 10 years ago, um, there was a brewery out in uh, Massachusetts called Pretty Little Things. Yeah, Pretty Little Things did a project with Ron Pattinson, a British beer writer, to brew a couple different porters from different eras. Okay. Um, and so they did this old school version of the porter and then a, a much more modern one. Well, I shouldn't say modern, but like mid-1800s. Right. And the, I por- think the beers we did are mention super different that. I think we did mention that on the Washington and the Hair. Ah. I think we, I think, or I'm just saying, I think we named them. I'm Same. not saying I remember I've, them. I've, and I have I'm limited saying, material. I'm not, saying you're, no, I'm not saying you're being redundant. I'm just saying, like, for more information, go check out that episode. Well, well, well let me ask you this. Have you, have you tried it, it, it at all, Rich? Like, I just wonder what that, the... Those what beers? The, yeah. I, like what, I wonder what the taste would, would, would taste like. Or like... I mean, uh, or, and I know you're saying they don't do this now, but anything close to that, like, how does it different from, like, what we know as... Porters. Well, I don't want to steal Maddie's thunder. Okay, okay, sorry. Yeah, well, I, I, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to do that. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, my bad. And one other thing, I but just thank you for the the question. Yeah, it's it's really that's smoky, a good tease. We got it coming down the pipe. Big, yeah, yeah. Big flavored malt. Yeah, and malt. and one thing I'm going to caveat, and Rich, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, but we're going to talk about like strong beers, like what's a quote unquote strong beer, and a strong mm-hmm. beer for them back then is not close to what a strong beer 
is today. Or in terms of the UK, I guess, in terms of like when we were going to say like a strong porter is not like a 12% beer. No, it's like a not 12% relative to it's like, but it's don't, don't base um, the, the relationship on what, what British brewers brew nowadays. So strong beer in the UK now is like 5% or more. Yeah. Okay. That's like, that's, that's high alcohol, but way back when before, so they, something that's really, I think an interesting thread of beer history as well as kind of political history as well um, is Britain had to spend so much money paying for this empire to keep up the empire and keep up its, you know, constant wars and colonial skirmishes and things like that. So it was constantly finding, you know, needed to raise money via taxation. And so it was constantly finding ways to tax beer more and more heavily. And so brewers we're constantly trying to figure out how to keep their beer inexpensive so that people would buy it. They didn't want to have to, you know, brew expensive beer that would be taxed heavily. And so uh, basically for the past, you know, 150 years or so, British beer has been declining in average strength pretty precipitously. So in the 1700s, it was not uncommon at all for porters and stouts. It's funny that we're still talking about porter, but porters and stouts and, you know, what became India Pale Ale to be, you know, seven, eight percent alcohol. You know, that was a pretty okay. standard style okay. beer. So it was actually. Yeah, it not, wasn't 12. Yeah. It wasn't 12. But, you know, but but they would have like a brewery would have like five different porters and maybe yeah. three or four different stouts. And you'd have one at like 5% alcohol, 4% alcohol, 8% alcohol, you know, just all, all over the range. And the beers were priced differently based on that amount of alcohol and the amount of taxes that were being paid on it, too. All right. So now, in order to compete with the growing popularity of highly hopped pale beers, porters were designed to be a stronger, more hopped, more aged version of sweet British brown beers. Uh, while normally strong beers were made from just the first mashing of the malt, porters made from four or five mashings all blended together, earning them occasionally the name of entires. Uh, Rich, this is Cornell's take, but somewhere else I mentioned that entires were actually a mix of a bunch of different beers, like ales and also like lagers and a bunch of stuff mixed together. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yes and no. Basically, you're getting beyond my familiarity with this okay. stuff. Um, but mixing a bunch of different beers, it might be done at the pub, mm-hmm. but rarely at the brewery. Okay. I w- you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think you're going to be mixing, you know, different color beers and different, you know, lagers and ales and, and all that together. Um, but yeah, okay. you're you're a little bit deeper than than my okay. recent. Well, lean on Cornell's take. Cornell's take made sense, but I also saw it mentioned elsewhere. They were also these beers were also matured in large. You'll like this, Larry. They're matured in large, hundred eight gallon casks called butts. I like big butts. Porters, like. porters were a butt beer, and sometimes they're referred to as entire butts. It's true. The other butts can't deny entire butts. Perhaps most <laughs> importantly, though, highly dried brown malt, and Rich already hinted this, was used, giving porters a roasted flavor. Uh, now, at this time, the word stout was being used a lot in beer, but not as in the name of the style, but in reference to the beer's strength. For instance, the use of the word stout to mean strong or brave. A stout porter was a strong porter. A stout beer was a strong beer. For instance, this is jumping ahead a little bit, but the Guinness Brewery in Dublin originally had the Superior Porter, which became the Extra Superior Porter, but that naturally became the Guinness Extra Stout. Extra Stout. I take it. And you're saying this, uh, maybe I mis- misheard, but this, this, this isn't necessarily referring to the alcohol level, or it is specifically? It is. It is, it is specifically. It is and it isn't. Basically, it's, it's, you know, alcohol is part and parcel of more body and more malt. I got also. it. Got, I got it. So got we're it. Typically, okay. I, I like that you came up with strong or brave, Maddie, as, as uh, synonyms for stout. But, you know, I, I think more just like big, you know, like. like yeah, beefy. robust. Yeah, okay. I see. Robust. Because I'm saying like right Everything. now, imperial usually means that it's like really, really high alcohol content. Like, was that synonymous or are we talking about like 
Like, is it is it chewy, meaty when you when you drink it type of a thing? Well, it's kind of both. Got it. You know, I mean, and, and honestly, back in the 1700s, there was so little control over the brewing process that, you know, it was hard to make a beer ferment out entirely. You know, it took a ton of time, like a year for beer to dry out and really uh, finish finish fermenting. Um, and so a lot of these beers were sweet and chewy to begin with. But it's something that really led to Porter and Stout's uh, success is that because they were highly hopped, they, they were so intensely like smoky and roasty and bitter from all the hops that they needed to be aged for a long time. And then if you aged them for a long time, then they dried out and became fantastic. So it was sort of like a, I don't know, like positive feedback loop, I guess is what I'm looking for. But the idea is that these beers became drinkable with time and they were age worthy because of it. And all of a sudden people were like, oh, wow, this is interesting. You know, these beers you know, are so old. They're like, you know, a year old. They're hep- they're vatted beers. They're aged in these large butts, these large vats and all that stuff. And, you know, that becomes more efficient for the breweries to make and the beers dry out because of it. And so it's a more pleasant drinking experience. Cool. And also real quick, apparently the opposite of a stout ale was a slender ale, which you could bring into the woods to appease the infamous slender man. That's, that's, that's terrifying. <laughs> like who's the slender man? You don't know about the Slender Man? No. Do neither of you know about the Slender Man? No, but that's sounds... all skinny man who lives in the woods. That sounds terrifying. This is terrifying. It's like lore. It's modern lore. It's modern. It's internet lore. It's creepy pasta. You guys got to get up creepy? on creepy pasta. Creepy pasta. Creepy pasta. You guys. So wait, get up on internet lore. Slend- so, I mean, the Slender Man thing is but real. The, cre- but the, the Slender Man is the, the same. creepy man. dude likes to drink. Two girls a weak beer? almost killed another girl because of the Slender Man. No, the Slender Man is real. The Slender Man is not real. No, it's like a. It's a, he lives in like Minnesota in the woods, and it was like an internet uh, viral kind of lore legend that that built up that he had to. And uh, there was famously a case where like two, I think they were like 12, 12 year old girls took another like 12 year old girl into the woods and stabbed her like 40 <gasps> times. To, what? How did this just take to appease this? How did this just I, take You this guys turn. didn't know about the Slender Man. Yeah, but we didn't want to take this they, There was a We're movie about, about the Slender Man. Yeah. The dog's getting excited. All right. Anyway, let's move on from the Slender Man. <laughs> did the guy sound like that creepy Swiss dude that Larry did? I think he did actually. It's like Cesar de Cesar. Let's see. Cesar, are you the Slender Man? No, I don't even. I don't even know how I did his voice. I don't trust him. He doesn't sound trustworthy. The dog is attacking Larry right now. The, the The doorbell rang, so the dog thinks a new friend is here. That's why that uh, that. Uh... Down. Hey, down. It's chaos over here. This dog is. The dog likes Larry a lot. I Larry has a history. Of, That's why that impression was because the dog is on me. The dog ruined the impression. Larry doesn't act with dogs. That's in his all of his contracts. <laughs> That's in my contracts. Yeah. All right. Now back to dogs those, and babies. Let's get back to those malts. Richard, I talked a little bit about the malts. It was the brown malt that gave Porter its color and flavor. But at the same time, brown malt is less fermentable than pale malt. So even though it was cheaper, you ended up needing to use more for a strong drink. Um, and pale and amber malts were introduced to keep costs down. But of course, it then lost its rich, darker color. We're still on Porter's. We're getting the stouts in a sec. Uh, various tricks were used to try to color the beer, including using burnt muscovado sugar and Spanish licorice. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, if you really like stouts, uh, use of these ingredients was outlawed because authorities did not want anything going into the beer that wasn't taxable. Like Rich said, taxes, heavily, heavily influential. Always taxes with these guys. And Rich, before we now jump into it, I always ask this, but is it really so much about color? Like, it seems like there is a great concern about the beer being the right color. And was it that important to the sale that the beer be this like darker brown or was it also the flavor aspect of it? That's a fascinating question. I have not thought of that before. Because I, most everything of I read was like, being... we got to make it dark. Like we wanted to make it darker, but we couldn't or whatever. And I'm like, but these beers, these beers weren't being drunk out of glassware. 
Hmm. You know, they and they weren't being bottled either. I mean, rarely. And bottles back then were brown glass anyway. So you couldn't really see the beverage. You know, I guess if you're looking. Oh, actually, one thing with it. So if you if you pour a glass of beer and look straight down at it, okay, you can't see through the side of the glass. All you see is the foam. Hmm. However, way back when, you know, in the 1700s and early 1800s, especially with British beer, uh, the beers weren't really that carbonated. They were pretty lightly carbonated, and so the foam wouldn't really be an issue. So I guess if you're staring directly down into your pewter tankard and you can't see through the side of it to judge the color of the beer, maybe you could see it through the top. Okay. Um, I don't know. That's a really great question. I don't know why color was such a big deal back then. Yeah, because but- I love that. That's what my book on beer yeah. would be. It would be about the color. Like, there's, there's a very big obsession with the color of beer, and obviously it like flavors related, and it spirals out yeah. in a bunch of other things, but it seems like they're really – a lot of like the writing and a lot of the things people were going for in terms of their goals with brewing was color based. It seemed. Well, a lot of it's just acceptance by the market and the yeah. market doesn't, I mean, most of the market has never seen a pale colored beer before mm-hmm. at, this, at this time. You know, it's not till the, you know, 1830s basically that pale beer becomes a thing. And yeah, I guess people are just, they would have been distrusting of it. Yeah, I don't want to drink that. It looks like pee. Yeah, but, but, but pale back then would not be what like we would consider <laughs> pale now, sorry. though, right? Like it wouldn't be the color of a pilsner, though, right? Like no, a pale no, no, ale no. is... Pale back then is what we call amber now. Yeah, it's like amber now, yeah. So it wouldn't look like pee unless you had like, like a pee. problem. Right, you, it didn't look like pee. Unless it was Breaking Bad and you like had pee. like a, an, an issue. Like, you know, like you're, when you pee and it comes oh. out cola colored, yeah. that means you have like, you're dealing with like some serious issues. Keep it in mind. Get checked. Is any of this Everybody episode not going to get edited out? <laughs> None of it. I'm not going to edit a thing out. I might edit the dog out. Everything else is gold. Everything else is golden. gold. Unlike these beers, which is it are golden like or amber? Yeah. Golden or amber. Well, speaking of color, what is the, na- the title of Martin Cornell's book? Oh, it's called Amber, Black, and Gold. See, that dude's That's obsessed. Right. I had to talk That's to right. him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So... Here we are. There, are try- there they are trying to figure out how to keep porters dark in an affordable way. The big breakthrough came in 1817 with an invention by Daniel Wheeler. In the past, malts were roasted basically barbecue style, even though it's not really barbecue style, but I like to say barbecue style, by lighting a fire underneath a perforated surface. This led, though, to uneven roasting. It'd be scorched in some places, it'd be undercooked in others, and the fire, of course, would leave smoky flavors in the malts. What Wheeler did was he took inspiration from coffee roasting and replaced the perforated surface with a revolving metal drum or drum roaster. Malt was never exposed directly to the fire, so it was smoke-free and could be roasted much more evenly. Even better, it became much easier to control the temperature and length of the drying process, leading to better control of taste and color. Uh, Malt was roasted at 400 degrees Fahrenheit or more to make dark brown malt, also called patent malt. And Rich, I know this was one of the big things when we beforehand when we were talking about the episode. This was the big moment. This was a big moment to feature in the history of stouts. It's an enormous moment. You can't and, you can't and beer in general. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's hilarious that this guy was working so hard to create. So yeah, this patent malt, as you call it, he did have a patent on this roaster, so that so that he could create this black patent malt, and that was like his big gift to the. Well, I shouldn't say gift. I'm sure he wanted to make money out, but like his. Mm-hmm. His big huzzah to the yeah. brewing industry. And he, he did call it realize. patent yeah, he did call it patent malt. So he definitely was trying to make money. I like that he money. called it patent malt. Like, just, you know, patent malt, yeah, patent malt. Yeah. It's patented. You so got to come through me to get it. magnanimous. Uh, but, I mean, he's like the least disruptive guy in the world. He's just like perfected a way to make dark malt. But he doesn't realize in the process he's allowed temperature control and the ability to consistently and evenly 
dry malt. The reason people were cooking malt, I shouldn't say people, the reason brewers and maltsters were cooking malt in the first place at high temperature was because they needed to dry it out. Otherwise it would go moldy. And so they needed to, you know, they, they didn't want necessarily that dark color, but no one had thought about a beer that wasn't really dark in color before. You know, I'm, I'm glossing over the fact that, you know, there were paler beers out there, but they were hard to get because they were just really expensive. Just letting malt air dry was the uh, the alternative to, to roasting it and burning it. And so if you let it air dry, it just took a long time. The yields were worse because you lost a lot of malt to mold or to birds or whatever, if you're like air drying it or, you know, sun drying it, things like that. And so just, you know, I don't know, 90, 95% of the beers that were consumed and brewed for, you know, common people in, you know, the vast economy of, of Europe at the time was dark beer. It was dark malt. And so this guy creates this thing unbeknownst to him that makes it so that anyone, any brewer that wants to can brew a beer that's any color they want. I shouldn't say any color, you know, but any, any color within the cooked malt spectrum. Okay. So that, that spectrum goes from pale gold or straw colored all the way up to black, you know, deep brown and black and all that stuff. But all of a sudden brewers from the eight, from 1818 on basically were like, Hey, let's, let's run with this and try to do new stuff. And so all these cultures that have been, you know, that were famous brewing cultures we're used to these dark beers, but eventually there's like this aha moment. This like mm. this breakthrough beer from every one of these um, consistent dark beer brewing cultures. That was the first light colored beer, the first pale colored beer. And all of a sudden people are like, whoa, this thing's amazing. You know, <laughs> it doesn't taste like smoke and roast. And sorry, Larry, I'm saying bad things about your, your, your toasty, roasty burgers and yeah, bread. Yeah, I know, I like but people it. like other flavors <laughs> and they're like, holy shit, this is amazing. So, yeah, th this is a pretty huge invention yeah. that's changed beer as we know it. Wow. And uh, like Rich said, now also brewers, can they can make a dark porter with almost all pale malt. Uh, the style mm -hmm. is evolving now. It's changing. Brewer John Tuck in 1822 said, The real taste of porter as originally drank is completely lost. Our ancestors brewed porter entirely with high-dried malt, while in the present day in many houses, high-dried or... Blown malts are entirely omitted. See, so even back then we had beer purists complaining about stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that's always, always complaining been there. And sort of mumbling too, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's how he did it back then. It's kind of, I don't like that guy. I don't yeah. like that John Tuck. <laughs> I don't like John Tuck at all. Uh, now, over the next century, quote, stout porters would give way to just stouts in that gradual organic way that so many styles have come to be. Uh, in the early 1800s, a stout, was, a stout was basically a top quality porter, but as the Oxford Companion to Beer notes, in the late 1800s, regular porters simply fell out of favor and the designation stout porter was simplified to just stout. Uh, in the mid-1800s, the flavors of stouts also started to diverge, and we're going to talk about some of those diverse styles later, uh, with London and Dublin as the two main brewing centers. We had Guinness, uh, the biggest Irish brewer, and one of the first to use Wheeler's roasting techniques. Larry, have you heard of Guinness? I have heard of Guinness. Rich, have you heard of Guinness? Um, yeah, I think so. Great. Uh, now, they used pale malt and patent malt, in mm -hmm. addition to in Ireland, where they used softer water. London brewers still included brown malts in the process. Uh, as the British publisher Charles Knight said, Guinness is a respectable enough drink, but we must say that the ascendancy it has gained in many coffee houses and taverns of London is anything but creditable. 
to the taste of their frequenters. Its sub-acidity and soda-water briskness, when compared with the balmy character of London, bottled stout from a crack brewery, are like the strained and shallow efforts of a professed joker compared with the un... un- some word for... Untrust- by- <laughs> <laughs> the unctuous... The unctuous... <laughs> The unctuous, full-bodied wit of Shakespeare. Right, so this British Tomorrow dude. and tomorrow and tomorrow. That's Creeps and steady pays. Yeah, this, this British From dude day to day. Irish beers were like the strained and shallow efforts of a professed joker. The British stouts were an unctuous, full-bodied wit of Shakespeare. Hold on. All right. I thought that Wait, was a... Maddie, I thought you misspelled that unctuous. I, I thought you misspelled it, but that's no, unctuous. No, that's, that's okay. that word. Yeah, I, let me say, I know, Rich, you have a lot to describe have my what I said. But I feel like every one of Larry's characters... A lot of them seem like they're like twirling a mustache. They all have to twirl them. They all speak. have to twirl a mustache. <laughs> a mustache twirling. So, Rich, go on. I know there's. I know you. There, you wanted to jump in on what I've been talking about. I want to jump in on all this, but I, rather than waste tons of everyone's time here, I just want to say a couple things. One is that first of all, this whole quote is about Guinness, not about Guinness Stout. Okay, so Guinness ah. was a quarter brewery for for hundreds of well, yeah, hundreds of years, right? How long has hmm. been been open? Since the 1700s, yeah. So it was brewing porter for most of its time, including up through the the 20 you know 20th century. It's now obviously a stout, you know, famous brewery, but it definitely brewed a lot of porter. Uh, also, um, the London, Dublin. Well, I shouldn't even go into that, but yeah, other breweries like you know, or other cities like you know Edinburgh and Cork and uh, you know like Bristol and places like that also had a lot of stout being brewed. Finally, the big thing with this is like we're still talking about porter. You know, when, when I, my first beef with, with, with your scholarship, Maddie, was that stout is a bigger deal than porter. But like, we haven't been able to get away from porter this entire episode. It felt We're necessary finally... to kind of to jump in. It felt the whole, the lead in felt necessary as well. Yeah. Well, you can't, you cannot talk about stout without porter. Yeah. And I'm, I don't know why I'm like Mr. Pro Porter or anything like that, but I, I do like porter and I do like stout. Uh, but the fact is stout is like this offshoot from porter and it's always going to be identified with porter in the history of Beer in general, but the history of stout also is really about porter. Got it. So there we go. That's all good. I don't feel shamed in the slightest. You're going to edit that out too, aren't you? I don't edit a thing. Other yeah. than the dog. Um, <laughs> doorbell, maybe. I'll leave the dog. <laughs> the doorbell <laughs> cut out. They will never know when the doorbell rang throughout the episode. There was a little tink- tinkling. Yeah, you heard it. Yeah, you like heard you heard song during one you of my boring speeches. Yeah. Is that the ring? Okay. Yeah. How's the ring? <clears throat> Uh, in Britain, uh, the round malts led to sweeter styles, eventually including the milk stout. I'm just talking about the general ways in which the flavors sort of split up and evolved. The higher ABV Imperial Stout arose. Now, Rich, please tell me it's true. It was called the Imperial Stout because it was brewed for a Russian uh, monarch or a Russian czar or whatever the Russian guy in that, honcho was. That is basically true. It Yay. was uh, Primarily, the, well, not primarily, but the most famous... Uh, and long-lived czar during this was Tsarina, Tsarina Catherine the Great. But the fact is, it, this beer was so expensive that it became very, very popular among the Russian uh, court, like the imperial court, and so like the aristocracy. No one else could, no one else in Russian, like the the you know common people, could afford this beer. But yeah, it was definitely brewed for all sorts of you know fancy people in Russia as well as you know Finland, Scandinavia, and all that. And then. Uh, in like 1815 or something like that, you know, during the Napoleonic Wars, there was all this upheaval around um, taxation and, and who was on what side of the war and all that stuff. And uh, it made it so that um, Russia basically shut down its ports to uh, to English imported beer. 
And so all of a sudden, Burton on Trent, very famous brewing city for, we now think of it for IPA, lost like just tons and tons of its market because it was primarily a um, strong stout and strong barley wine style beer uh, brewing city. And all of a sudden it lost its huge export market. So it had to switch to something else and it came up with IPA. Cool. So uh, also, random side. I talked about something other than porter and stout there. That was great. Uh, also, in the late 1800s, the rich, full-bodied stouts somehow got a reputation for being medicinal or having restorative properties. Brewers advertised that the beer was nutritious or aided digestion. It was even sold to nursing mothers, as the English journalist Mrs. Beaton wrote. As the best tonic and the most efficacious indirect stimulant that a mother can take at such times, there is no potation equal to porter and stout. Or, what is better still, an equal part of porter and stout. That's probably your best. That's probably your best character. <laughs> Hard R's. I should soften the R's a little bit. Mrs. Beaton. was too intense. Mrs. Beaton. Uh, Walter and Humphreys of Salford said its oatmeal stout was, quote, particularly suitable for invalids. Uh, and in 1910, Guinness advertised it as, as good for the well and strong as for the convalescent. In the 1920s, an advertising agency surveyed Guinness drinkers why they drank Guinness, and the overwhelming response was, quote, because it's good for me, which led to the classic Guinness slogan, which is on a lot of those, like, posters you can buy at, like, vintage stores. The slogan, Guinness is good for you. The slogan was since made illegal, because it's, uh, <laughs> it's probably <laughs> not good for you. <laughs> Although I have heard stout actually cures COVID. You've part. heard that? And you don't need to get vaxxed. You can just go off some stout. Who told you that? that? Only if it's a black and tan with um, with Corona on the bottom. Oh, yeah. I got it. Yeah, well, the Corona, corona expert. Yeah. Now, by the early 1900s, Stout was losing its reputation as a strong beer. It wasn't the strong beer, but as porters had really lost their popularity. Rich, I know. Uh, Stout had <laughs> That's become true. Oh, okay. Porters, porters were were on the way. Right, okay. okay. <laughs> there we go. Stout basically became the go-to dark beer. When you think of the dark, the the dark dark beer is Stout. Uh, roasted barley, which many felt gave inferior flavor and aroma, also started being used more instead of roasted malt. Uh, one last major development in stout came out in the 1950s. Nitrogenate. Oh, oh no, what? We just we've skipped so much. It's There's killing a, me. We're in the 1950s already. Well, I kind of I wanted to give the background picture and then some like bullet points. I think we can jump back in on stouts because it's just a huge lot of stuff. And and at it's this point, so much stuff. Well, at this it's point, so it becomes stuff. about like picking random like details instead of one larger mm. thread. So it's harder. Yeah. It kind of it kind of splits off into a million directions. So we are gonna we'll mm. revisit. And it, winter's coming, which is the stout <laughs> season. So we can oh. <laughs> we can we can dive on in on stouts. You, you've ups- again. you've upset me here. I don't like. Oh no. The idea that stouts are only good in the winter. Oh, they're good all times, but they, they sing in the winter, you know? <laughs> they sing. <laughs> I like singing stouts. Uh, okay, well, pretty much all of those points I am okay with. We just <laughs> skipped a lot of the stuff that makes yeah. them make sense, but I'll, I'll, I'll let them slide. Well, you know, it makes sense. It all follows. Um, but now we're going to talk about nitrogenation. Rich? Oh, this is my, my, my cue. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so... Do I get to do I get to go back before the 1950s? Yes, you Am I may. Allowed? Yes, of course. Okay, so Britain loves uh, Br- British beer culture and Irish beer culture. By the way, when I say Britain, it does include Scotland and Wales. Uh, so Great Britain is an island that includes Scotland and Wales. And when I talk to people about British beer, they think I'm only talking about English beer, but that is not accurate. So uh, British and Irish beer culture relies heavily on pub culture, and people like drinking at the pub. 
And uh, most of what was drunk in the pubs in the 1800s and uh, first half of the 1900s was cask conditioned ale. So the beers were conditioned in the cask rather than just being served from the cask. Okay, so casks were a way to move beer from the brewery to the pub. And if you were savvy about it as a brewery and also owned the pubs or at least trained the, the, the people that worked at the pubs how to serve carbonated or in British terms conditioned beer from the cask, then all of a sudden the beer would come out of the cask uh, lightly sparkling. Mm. So heavily sparkling or heavily carbonated beer um, wasn't really a thing in British culture. And again, we were coming from basically still or flat beer into something that was mildly sparkling um, as, uh, as contained in these casks. And so the whole idea of going to the pub meant that you could get this beer that was like lightly lightly carbonated and still alive it still had yeast in it uh, you couldn't necessarily see the yeast there wasn't so much that it was like a cloudy beer but it had this soft uh fruity aromatic um aroma to the uh, uh to the beer from the yeast the yeast added this nice soft breadiness and then on top of that it had this like gentle carbonation to it um and that's just it's one of the most gorgeous experiences in the world when you go to anywhere, I shouldn't say a British pub, but, you know, go to anywhere and get a good cask condition beer. It is absolutely splendid. It's a pain in the ass though. And uh, it relies on a whole chain of people knowing how to serve cask condition beer. And the most, the easiest example of why cask condition beer is a disaster nowadays in most pubs is that it really only has a shelf life of like two to three days. Okay, if properly done, you end up uh, poking a hole or like banging a hole with a, with a hammer into this plastic diaphragm in the top of the cask that bursts. Okay, and all of a sudden it allows it, you know, excess CO2 out of the beer, which is okay because the beers are usually a little too carbonated. Um, but then it allows air in and the air has a lot of bacteria. It's got oxygen. Neither of these things is good for beer. And so over the course of two or three days at cellar temperature, 55 degrees or so, 50 degrees, the beer ends up going a little bit more flat and eventually gets sour. And so that's not good. You don't want a cask on day four, but days one, two, and three, it's gorgeous. And so this is a recipe for losing money as a pub. And you have to hire people to uh, know how to store and tap the cask and deal with all this stuff. Wow. And that's not something we do nowadays. And breweries lose out with that because their beers are not, um, their cask condition beers are rarely managed well out in the marketplace. So this is just, it's a disaster waiting to happen. And British beer in the mid, middle of the 20th century was uh, succumbing not only to uh, quality issues at the pub uh, because, of, because of all this cash conditioning stuff, but also the desire for convenience. So a lot of bottled beers, as well as the takeover of lager from the continent, from, you know, Germany and places like that. So they were sending over a lot of Pilsner style beers um, and, you know, basically golden fizzy lagers that were in kegs. And so Guinness is like, hold on, hold on. We have a solution to all of these problems, all in one fell swoop. And they decided that if they can nitrogenate their beer, uh, well, that will allow them to put it into kegs. And anyone that knows how to open a beer faucet can pour the beer. And they don't have to be tapped and they don't have to be managed and kept upright. And they don't have to worry about yeast getting, you know, bashed around inside the beer and, and messing it up and all this stuff. The beer is not alive. It's dead. But what happens is that nitrogenation that's in there, that nitrogen gas that's inserted in there, um, helps to create this fluffiness of the beer that is akin to, it's not the exact same thing as, but it's akin to the mouthfeel that you get from proper cask-conditioned beer. Wow. So it is a great sort of approximation. The idea here, the science behind it is that there's a lot of nitrogen in the air. 
the air is about 78% nitrogen. The atmosphere is about 78% nitrogen. So that's a lot of nitrogen. So every breath you take, you're breathing in tons and tons of nitrogen. Yeah. Um, if you add nitrogen to a beer, um, so nitrogen is not very soluble in beer. The beer doesn't want to soak up the nitrogen. So the nitrogen is like, it's forced in there. It's like pushed in there. Uh, you know, again, this is the 1950s, 1960s when this happens. So there's enough modern technology that makes it so that we can force this gas into the beer, but it doesn't really want to be there because it's not that soluble. So it wants to jump out of the beer as soon as you open the can or the keg or whatever you're opening. But because there's so much nitrogen in the air, the nitrogen in the beer that doesn't want to be in the beer can't really go into the atmosphere either. Mm-hmm. It gets stuck in this like nether Not world, great. which is that slow cascady, uh, you know, like, um, uh, yeah, velvety fog that happens inside that, that, that Guinness every time you get a pour of it at the bar. And so Guinness is like, hey, this seems to be working out. Not only is it approximating that soft mouthfeel of cask conditioned beer, and not only are pubs not having to throw, you know, pour a half full cask down the drain at day four, um, and not only do they not have to train their bartenders how to deal with this special stuff because it's just like regular beer, it's, it's in a keg, but the customers really like it because it's like this mesmerizing it's like a, a, a bar trick, a pub trick. It's like, look at this beer, you know, look at this amazing cloudy, foggy thing that's going on in the beer. So feels good, tastes good, makes the bars money, makes the breweries money. Everyone wins. Okay, Everyone so wins. that's the idea behind nitrogenation. And we're not talking about nitrous. That is short Different. for nitrous oxide, which is I see. laughing gas. And nitrogenation. Don't get a mixture. Don't make that yeah. mistake. Old Speckled Hand uses that, right? Well, right. So a lot of other breweries have borrowed it. Yeah. I shouldn't say yeah. borrowed it, but they've they've taken that idea. I was going to say, is that what, like anytime we see a nitro, that's what's going on? Mm-hmm. Basically, I mean, it's the most yeah, simple, exactly. simple version of that. It's exactly what's And is it on. trying to, like you said, it's trying to on some level mirror what that cast conditioned uh, mouthfeel would be? I mean, on some I, level. On some level. That's... It's pretty far removed at this point. What what people are doing now is just copying Guinness. Got it. Because when you think of Guinness around the world, I mean, actually, there are a lot of different types of beer that Guinness brews. And around the world, you know, depending on where you go, you might not think of like Guinness Draft, which is the standard Guinness that we that we think of now in the yeah. United States. But most places that are used to Guinness Draft assume that stouts, they, they think all stouts are like Guinness. And they also think that all stouts are nitrogenated. Yeah. And therefore, even though Guinness was trying to copy sort of the cask condition thing, anytime a brewery does nitrogenation now, they're basically, you know, I don't want to say copying, but they're, you know, paying, paying an homage to Guinness draft. Got it. Which is pretty impressive. So the, the issue at the end of the day is that it softens the intensity of the flavors of the beer. Um, CO2, when it jumps out of solution, is a sharp bubble that bursts on your tongue. Like yeah. it's, it's kind of aggressive. It, CO2 is bitter. CO2 is also acidic. So CO2 itself adds intensity to beer, but also as gas jumps out of the beer, it enhances the aroma of the beer and so of whatever your beer is. So Old Speckled Hen, what color is Old Speckled Hen, Larry? It's like an amber color, right? Yeah. It's medium, yeah, it's, medium brown, yeah. But like amber. Yeah, it's, it's like a, yeah, it's like a light, light amber, orangish color. Yeah. And so that, that come it's also the color of like toast and caramel and it comes from mm-hmm. the fact that it has toasted caramel malt that's in it and so if you want to uh enjoy that beer enjoy all the caramel and toastiness then don't put nitrogen in there okay but the nitrogen that's in there softens that which is not really the end of the i mean it's not a problem like toast and caramel aren't like uh um bogeys for a beer but how about like Roast, burnt, smoke, ashy flavors. Are these flavors everyone likes? No. 
I mean, I know Larry, you like it. Uh, it sounds good. Sounds, sounds, sounds good to me. Yeah, I'll drink an ashy fucking beer. <laughs> but, lot, but obviously, I mean, people don't drink dark dark beers for a lot of different reasons. And one of those reasons is that those those flavors are, to, I mean, one of the only kind of accurate reasons is those flavors. You know, there are a lot of other misconceptions yeah. about dark beer, which aren't accurate. But what is accurate is that dark beer, dark color usually comes from roasted, burned malt. And that's an intense flavor. And so if you have carbonation in there, that carbonation is going to only amplify that intensity. And so if you have a cask conditioned version of that, it's got carbonation, but it's not as highly carbonated. Or if you have a nitrogenated version, it's even softer. Mm. And so it doesn't amplify the rougher parts of that beer. Side note, is dark soda worse for your teeth than light soda? I feel like that was one of those urban legends that feels... (laughs) On the subject of darker versus lighter I, things, you looking at my teeth? My teeth look. I don't. No, no, I'm looking at everyone. I'm looking at everyone's teeth. I feel like that was always the thing. Like people would be like, "Oh, I don't drink Coke. I drink Sprite because That's it's hilarious. better for I my teeth." I never heard that ever. Oh, life. I definitely heard it. I yeah. only heard that about coffee. I think it's like, very wrong. I think it's teeth. the sugar that in the soda. things that things that get roasted typically lower in pH during the roasting process. All right. So dark beer is typically more sour mm. and we're not, ta- we're not saying it's a sour beer, sour beer, but it is more acidic. It is more sour than a pale colored beer in general. Soda though is colored with artificial coloring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. The yeah, yeah. Of the, yeah. The no, just an aside. Um, okay. We can wrap up the story side of this. And I just want to say, this is how well I know rich. This is how I know to anticipate rich is because I wrote, I wrote this, this is typed and printed is and that gents and lades is the whole story is an incomplete (laughs) is an incomplete but single podcast episode friendly history of stout because i'm trying to give you the origins this is spider-man getting bitten by the spider this isn't spider-man fighting venom yeah we'll get to spider-man fighting venom later but i wanted to give you the start i want to give you the little origin because there's a whole there's a whole yeah the the photo the, the hand Mary Jane's there, or yeah. Gwen, depending on you know uh, the take, which, yeah. which Spider-Man take this is, or the yeah. Ultimate Universe, whatever. But anyway, or even Miles, or even Miles, it could be Miles yeah. Morales. It could be Miles. Yeah, it could be. Um, but what is Miles Morales? Well, he's almost like Bourbon Barrel Age stats because he's like the later, yeah, 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 the later iteration. That's like but maybe, his maybe better than Ben too. Peter. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> his uncle was yeah. a thief. All right, so <laughs> Rich is just staring at us and shaking his head. Cool. Okay. So stout. Okay. But that's, that's, that's the background. That's the origin story. Rich, what is a stout? What is a stout beer? What do I, what do I well, expect? Let's, what let's do I expect? go back to the 1700s and talk about Porter for a minute. No, you SOB. We just did that. <laughs> stout is a dark ale that has mm-hmm. roasty chocolatey, like burnt chocolate, or I should say dark chocolate, roasty aromas. Yeah. Yeah. It has a range of bitterness from low to high. It yeah. has a, an alcohol range from low to high and a sweetness range from low to high. So yeah. what is, what is, would you say that? Yeah. Like, is there a stout? Like, is there a, I'm doing quotation marks that the listeners can't see. What is a, nor, a normal stout? Like, what is a standard stout? Like, the is standard, a Guinness a standard stout? The standard style of stout that most people think Irish. of when they think of stout that doesn't need a like an adjective or mm-hmm. a, a modifier, a qualifier, is dry Irish stout. Mm-hmm. Okay, and okay. that is what Guinness Draft is. That's what Beamish stout is. That's Beamish. what um, I'm already failing to come up with other ones right now. Sorry, uh, but um, but yeah, so it is usually like four to four and a half percent alcohol, so not very alcoholic. It's usually very dark. It's made with roasted barley as opposed to black malt. So roasted barley adds a kind of a astringency to it. So it's this like drying tannic uh, thing that is usually 
kind of sour and kind of refreshing at the same time and kind of intense. And if you have it nitrogenated, it loses its intensity, which is by design, I think. So stouts are tricky because when you're adding that dark malt to make it a dark beer, and this has been happening for the past, you know, thousand years since people have been making dark beers, they need to find a way to make it palatable because just drinking a bunch of burnt juice isn't really that enjoyable. So how do, how do you make it palatable? Uh, wait, you, sorry, sorry, Rich. Sorry, Joe. I, I, I don't know. Literally, I don't know if I agree with that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was just going to say, I'm really quick. I want to apologize. There's, I'll try to edit it out, but there's a helicopter like circling my home right now. Like it is right overhead. Yeah, they're looking for me. They're looking and for me. And it is me. loud. So I just want to apologize if that's distracting, it's but the, I'll try to cut it out. It's because it's I like the quarter the, police. It's yeah, because yeah. that burnt juice sounds almost delicious to drink. <laughs> sorry. No, no, sorry. <laughs> So sorry, sorry to jump in there. So yeah, that's my that's my quick version of stout. Cool. So so like techniques for how to make it not yeah. so intense include making it sort of sweet. So sugar, okay, like adding sugar to a cup of coffee. What about adding milk to a cup of coffee? Okay, you are adding fat. Okay, there aren't a lot of stouts with fat in them. Maybe a, a bacon washed stout or something like that. But in general, mm. you know, there there are ways to make bitter sour roasty things more palatable and it's whether it's putting ketchup on a burnt burger or putting a bunch of butter and uh, cinnamon sugar on a piece of dark toast or something like that there are ways to make these things more palatable and so in the old days these beers were often sweet because to make them uh, have enough alcohol in them you had to use so much malt because this malt like brown malt was really inefficient so it got really roasty but it also had some alcohol and it had some sweetness to it and then they figured out how to um, reduce the amount of malt that they used overall because of uh, you know, technological innovations in roasting malt and things like that. So they could use less malt, but all of a sudden they have the ability to dry these beers out too much. So then enter things like imperial stouts that have more sweetness to them or like sweet stouts, milk stouts that actually have lactose added to them. So milk sugar that's not fermentable or oatmeal. So an oatmeal stout has oats added to it, added to them. Oats are like, they're not fatty, but they're like the fattiest grain. They're silky. They add velvety softness to a beer. They add, make it sort of fluffy. Uh, what about adding nitrogen? It's another way of softening the intensity of this dark, roasty beer. So is it like the pursuit of softening the taste of the beer? Because this was kind of my question for you. Is stout seems like it's been played with a lot in interesting ways oh, yeah. that, that, aren't, that, mm-hmm. that they don't do. Like, I guess now we do have milkshake IPAs, so it's almost like right. there's kind of some <laughs> stuff seeping in. Is it in just trying to cut that bitterness? What makes stout such a, all right, let's mess with it. Let's make a bourbon barrel aged. All right, let's make it mm-hmm. super sweet and like a taste like a macaron or like what... Why stouts? Well, look at the history of this. You know, beer was dark for centuries and dark is kind of intense, right? And so when you don't have control over the fermentation, you have other things to worry about. Things like, oh, I've got bacteria in here and all of a sudden the beer tastes sour and smells like barnyard. Okay, that's that's a problem. Uh, but once brewers started getting through past some of those big fermentation problems. Sorry, like, right, I, well, see that? I just, like Larry... As the sound Barn, medium, barnyard Larry shrugged good. on the barnyard. barnyard sounds thing, good to me. Larry wants to drink the barnyard. It sounds good to me. <laughs> That's just <laughs> farmy Larry, <laughs> just off the farm. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. So like, beer was dark forever until Daniel Wheeler's eighteen seventeen <laughs> yeah. thing, right? And so all of a sudden, beers didn't have to be dark. And so the forever part of what I'm describing is dark beers where brewers forever were trying to figure out how to make this stuff as delicious as possible because they wanted to make money on it or they wanted to get drunk or they needed something safer to drink than the well water, you know, whatever it was, there was a reason that beer was around, but because of technological and economic limitations, it was almost always dark. And so I'm not here to say dark beer is bad. I adore dark beer as you, as you guys do too. 
but there we're drinking the the benefits of hundreds of years of brewing ingenuity to make dark beer taste good. And so, you know, throughout time, brewers have tried to figure out how to make it less bitter, less sour, less burnt, less roasty, less intense. I'm, I'm sorry, you, you went through oyster stout. I, yeah, I didn't mention oyster stout yet, but yeah, yeah oyster stout is another. Oh, I just want to, I need to know. <laughs> so oyster stout. I need to know. Never been, has never been a popular style of stout, but the, the, most interesting version of oyster stout actually has oysters added to it. Oh, you okay? motherfuckers. And oysters Stop will it. do a couple different things. Yes, whole oysters. Stop. Sometimes, sometimes <laughs> only oyster shells are used, but most of the time it's whole oysters. And it does two different things. One is irrefutable. It adds a brininess to the beer, Okay, if you, especially if you add enough oysters. So that's another way of softening the beer. You add salt to it. It's like salting a burger. A burger seems unbalanced without salt. You know? mm. So if you add salt to it, it, it can balance it. Larry, do you like salt? I love salt. I love oysters. <laughs> so the other thing that is a little, I shouldn't say specious, but it's just harder to achieve is dissol- or, uh, um, dissolving some of the calcium carbonate that's in the oyster shells into the beer. And mm. that is very legitimate theoretically. And if you enjoy Dunkels, as we were talking about last week, mm. a Munich Dunkel is brewed, you know, the, the Munich version of, of a Dunkel, a dark lager, actually has calcium carbonate in the water. So the water from Southern Germany is high in calcium carbonate, which softens or buffers the acidity of dark malts. And it I makes see. these beers nice and bready and soft despite being dark. So the, the water chemistry in London is high in salt as well as a little bit of calcium. So that um, adds its own salt. But if you want to sort of replicate that salt and that calcium, you can brew a dark beer and throw oysters in it if you want. So that's an oyster stout. What I love about oyster stouts is I just... jaw, Larry. That makes me smile. <laughs> Larry's... That makes Larry's me smile so hard. <laughs> He's crying. Larry's crying. I think that's, that sounds, sounds wonderful. But I just love that oyster stouts also make me... It, it's so evocative of like London, like, I don't know, sailors, but like guys who work on the work on the ports and they go into like the bar and they're eating, you know, oysters because those used to be cheap. All, cheap all those, all the good point. seafood used to be like cheap, accessible food yeah. or whatever. And just like slurping down little oysters and having a pint. Oyster stout, like I love for, the for, character of it and what it says about like British beer. Forgive me if this is ridiculous, but if I'm out at a seafood restaurant and mm-hmm. I have a bunch of oysters... And I'm drinking a stout. Are you telling me I can just drop? <laughs> like, should I drop the shells and the oyster or just the... Can I, I cannot drop them in the beer and just let it sit and drink it? Is that what you're telling me? You do, Larry, you can do whatever the hell you want. I'm, I'm asking. You, you, have, you, you have the charisma and panache to get away with. <laughs> uh, when you brew with brew with oysters, if, you, if you're going to really actually try to... Brew, to you're brewing with that. it. That's what I'm saying. You're yeah. brewing with it. Okay, got it. Yeah, That's it, what I'm asking. You're not, it's dip, you're not dipping. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. It's not icy. It's brewing with it. Okay, that's that's yeah. I, that's that's the clarification I need. Although you I was could, about to, I was about to go You're to Whole Foods, get some oysters. If you, I think you could with with if you did it with confidence, I think people would be like, "That guy knows what he's doing." What you do is <laughs> you take the oyster, you slurp it, yeah, and then the shell, you you calmly and measuredly scoop the stout. And, I always and sip I, it, I, and I sip already, it out I of already do that. I already do that now. And as well, long as you do that with confidence, people are like, "Oh, that's how." I guess that's how they do it somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> another thing you can do is instead of adding a mignonette sauce to your oysters, Ooh. you know, you could just add a spoonful of porter or stout to it. Drop the porter on top. So mignonette Ooh. sauce is usually champagne vinegar and yeah. shallots, and we're not recreating the shallots with our with our porter or stout at this point, but we do we are able to recreate some of the acidity 
And instead of shallots, we have roasty flavors. So what's I wrong like with barbecued that. oysters or grilled, o- grilled oysters? Mm. You know, you add that sort of roasty flavor to it. That's why I asked so. the question. So I can get to that because that's what I will do. Instead of using the roumelade, I can just pour a little. Pour a little beer. Just take beer. a sip of the porter and then slowly put your head over the plate of oysters and spit it out really carefully. Ooh. Dose it onto each oyster. Like a mama bird that on her disgusting. babies. <laughs> That's how they do it in London. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. You're joking. Get the fuck out of Dodge City. All right. So we have oyster stouts. You kind of touched on oatmeal. What? I'm ordering oatmeal stout. What should I expect this oatmeal stout to taste like? Well, this is my beef these days. So a lot of American brewers are, are American craft brewers are trying to do all sorts of crazy stouts and basically sell stout, make stout, stout sexy. And stout, unfortunately, is not particularly sexy. And uh, so oatmeal stout nowadays is one way of doing that. And there are often like eight, nine, 10% alcohol, which is not really part of oatmeal stouts. The history of oatmeal stout is an approachable uh, stout that's, you know, five to 6% alcohol that, you know, you'll get a little buzz on, but it's not going to, it's not going to put you to sleep. And the oatmeal is there to soften or to balance some of that, that, you know, intense roasty astringency from, from the roasted malts. Did I explain that? Yeah, no, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, if you get it, if you just order an oatmeal stout, or if you're at a bar and someone says, "Oh, it's an oatmeal stout," when you ask them what this beer is, don't assume anything at this point. Other than that, it's probably going to be dark and it's probably going to be soft with the oatmeal, but you don't know about that, the alcohol level. Sometimes they're adding chocolate or coffee or blueberries or whatever they want to it. So oatmeal stout is not a well-defined mm. uh, and certainly not legally <laughs> defined term. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then milk stout, like this is one that I I feel like I've had I. I never thought of them as particularly sweet, but maybe that's because mm-hmm. I'm thinking in context of the much sweeter a, other sweet stouts. Guy, Matty, you're a sweet uh, guy. Oh, Rich, we can stop right there. In <laughs> <laughs> the episode there. Sweet. So sweet stout is the kind of most accurate name for this mm-hmm. style. Um, it's this, it describes a style of stout that is intentionally sweet. And that sweetness is a way of balancing those roasty intense flavors. Uh, the amount of sweetness is variable, but it should be present. You should be able to take a sip and be like, oh, this is a sweeter than normal beer. It doesn't have to be like treacly mm-hmm. sweet, you know, but it should it should have a noticeable amount of sweetness to it. Beyond that, the, why I call it a sweet stout, not a milk stout or a cream stout. That's another name for it, is that um, it should be irrefutably sweet. The source of that sweetness can be unfermented malt sugars. Okay, and that's an old school way of making the style of beer. And it's also a vegan way of making the style of beer. That wasn't oh. a reason that people made it 150 years ago, but it's a reason you might not include lactose today. However, the, the, you know, the hit adjunct in beer nowadays and craft beer these days is lactose because it's, it, it's unfermentable. It's a sugar, so it tastes sweet. It comes from milk, so it's not vegan. And it is unfermentable by most brewers' yeasts. Okay, it's fermentable by brewers' bacteria and Britannomyces yeast and all that stuff. So it's not indestructible, but by regular ale yeast and lager yeast, it's not going to be fermented. So it will leave sweetness in the beer. I personally like most of my beers to be on the drinkable side, the crisp and refreshing side. So I don't really have a lot of personal um, preference for lactose, but it does also add a, a slightly creamy mouthfeel. Yeah. A lot of brewers. Rich uh, just uh, said feel. that lactose beers are undrinkable for to him i'm just saying we said lactose yeah. beers he said i prefer my drinks my drinks yeah, drinkable. to be drinkable can I, can I ask you a question just saying what um <laughs> hold on maddie's dating just me saying, obviously just saying. If, 
I would much rather talk about the the history of porter and stout than correct your statement. <laughs> well, well, I'm just joking. I want to ask you. We know. I want to ask you a question though, like because we didn't talk about like uh, hops or what varieties are used in making mm-hmm. stouts, or are or are they? I mean, I'm sure there is, but like, is there a particular type of variety of hops that's normally used? Is like, are there? Well, are, I mean, it depends on the stout you're talking about. You know, most historical stouts came from Britain, and so they were typically using British hops or English hops. I can't say English hops because hops don't really grow well in Ireland, Scotland, or, or Wales. Uh, and so they were English hops because that's what was available to them and that okay. was what was most economical. But there wasn't a lot of beer that was being brewed with hops for hoppy aroma because beers weren't really typically being consumed fresh. I see. So if, if a beer, I mean, if you're really going to enjoy hop aroma, like in your, you know, American IPAs nowadays, New England IPAs and things like that, you need to drink that beer pretty fresh, or if it's not fresh, it needs at least to have been kept cold in a modern refrigerated cold chain, you know, and that wasn't an option back then. So hop aroma wasn't really a big deal. And you brewed with hops for bitterness, but Keep in mind, dark malts are also bitter. So yeah. honestly, a lot of these beers didn't have as many hops as, as future, you know, India pale ales would have, you know, future whatever English India pale ales from the 1800s had more hops in them. However, um, these beers were big beers and they were they were meant to age. And so they had a lot of hops in them as preservatives, uh, but not really for flavor. So it. typically mm-hmm. English varieties you might have found in them were, you know, things like Fuggles or Kent Goldings or, or you know, Bullion or Brewer's Gold or things like that. Oh, and you hit on this. Stouts last a long time, right? Like I should they, say, now that I mentioned those hops, I'm sure there's some some uh, <laughs> uh, listeners that know more about the history of British hops than I do. They'll be like, oh, Higgins, those hops are from 1915. You know, Higgins. there's no way they were they were used. Uh, but but, <laughs> but stouts, stouts last a long time, right? Like they have a long. They should. Well, it depends what you want out of a beer, right? right. If you if when you drink an IPA and you're upset because you can't smell all the nice piney, you know, grapefruity, mangoey aromas in it, then that beer has lost its soul, right? An IPA, a modern IPA should smell like hop aromas mm-hmm. and those tend to fade. But if your beer is all about, um, or if what you want a beer to be months and years down the road is not sour and not smelling like barnyard, you know, these are the, the um, effects of bacterial contamination and what contamination by wild yeast so you don't really want that in your beers. So things like stouts and porters are great because they're typically a little bit lower in pH. So they are slightly sour. They're not overly sour, but they're slightly sour. And that comes from the dark malt. And they're, ov- they're also bitter um, with just enough hops to help keep them clean. That said, an asterisk here, or a wrinkle here is that, um, so Britannomyces is, is quote unquote, a wild yeast. It's not, there's not much about it that's wild nowadays as it's used in the brewing industry. Um, however, Britannomyces is Latin or Latin derivation of British fungus. Okay. And so we think of it for wild Belgian beers, but the fact is um, Britannomyces has a large role to play in a lot of long aged British vatted beers, V-A-T-T-E-D. Uh, so beers that were aged um, at breweries in these huge oak tons or oak tanks. Um, and Porter was very much a part of that. Stout was very much a part of that. So Britannomyces would make these beers a little bit more dry, a little bit more vinous, uh, it's called. So sort of whiny tasting, a little bit fruitiness in there. So really interesting, uh, interesting aromas there. That's Britannomyces doing that. And then, you know, there's like, we don't need to get into the, like there's chocolate stouts, there's coffee stouts, there's peanut butter stouts that mm-hmm. tend to- That's all modern tend to, stuff. Yeah, tend to taste like those things. I think we'll have to do another episode, especially like we're talking about doing more about stouts. We'll have to do an episode, I think, specifically focused on like dessert stouts and mm-hmm. 
all these yeah, Venom modern stouts because there's it's so huge much thing, and yeah. i see i feel like that's i mean right. people both love them and also i see lots of like complaints online of like oh like all these boozy burble barrel yeah. age Oy- like stouts. We can taste drink, like we, a we can strawberry taste shortcake oyster. stout oyster stout no well, one would ever dare hate an oyster stout larry oyster stout. big <laughs> existential question here larry your your beer at the start was kentucky breakfast stout yeah. is it breakfast beer or is it a dessert beer well rich i think it depends on how you're feeling i mean <laughs> i think um it's all about feelings with you larry i think beer is best enjoyed how you'd like to enjoy wow. <laughs> larry's getting philosophical now I mean, I don't know, Rich. I don't know. I could drink this for... Bre- I mean, I don't feel like it's a dessert beer. It's not that sweet. Um, but I do get the like the maple syrup, the coffee. I do get those flavors in there. So, I mean, it's sweet. It's sweet, but I'm saying it's not like... I've had sweeter stouts. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So... I think I think my, my point was there... My point there was that it could be both. But yeah. since you're pushing against the dessert thing here, would it pair with... Some banana pudding? Of course it would pair with some banana pudding. Well, that's why my initial my initial answer was both. That's why I said it depends well, on what you want. That kind of gets into when you say like dessert stout, there's stouts that this will go with a dessert, and then there's some stouts that are like this is a dessert. Dessert, yeah. This is I'm drinking a chocolate mm-hmm. cake, and I'm going to have diabetes at the end of this. Or a donut. Or a donut. A donut. Um, so let's. why don't we recommend some stouts, Rich? I know this is like a broad, super, th- a super like wide category with all kinds of varieties. KBS. All, okay, that's Larry's going to recommend. That's KBS. a recommendation. Yeah, that's a great recommendation from Founders. High, highly acclaimed. So we have Founders KBS. Uh, Rich, what would you recommend for someone looking for like a straightforward, you know, as close to buy the whatever the book is stout? So I I floor people all the time when I uh, serve them Guinness draft. Okay. Just straight up classic Guinness draft. They're like, you're master Cicerone. You can get any beer in the world. What are you doing with this beer? It is a fantastic beer and it's super consistent, which helps too. So uh, I love that beer. I think it's great. Um, A fun trick you can do with that beer is actually pour half of it and enjoy it. The other half, uh, let sit uh, and let it, you know, for like an hour or two and let all that um, nitrogen go away and then take a sip of the beer and you sort of see the bones of the beer. (laughs) It's a very thin, sour beer that's not really that enjoyable without the nitrogen. They've they've definitely brewed it, understanding that the nitrogen has a huge role to play in it. So it's it's definitely a great beer. I dig it. Okay. Um, Oh, and look before you guys look at each other for. Well, I thought. Well, Larry leaning because I thought he was going to ask a question. I feel like this is like the obvious question we've asked it to you before, but I always like to because it's the fun little. I know little things about beer. Question: Guinness in Ireland is Guinness better in Ireland? Guinness is not better in Ireland. Bam! Eat that, dumb travelers. Why? Why? Because there are just as many shitty bars in Ireland as there are in the U.S. that don't clean their draft lines. Boom! Take that, trust Irish. Them. Trust the quality of the beer. <laughs> Boom! I had more acetaldehyde in uh, in my beer in my Guinnesses in Ireland than I do routinely in the states. What if you went to the actual like? If you go to Guinness, you, you go, go to the to brewery. Guinness, you are you getting a, a world of difference? I don't think you're going to get a world of difference. Uh, you probably mm-hmm. actually do literally have a different product from a different brewery. Guinness, I know at one point was uh, producing beer in um, in Canada somewhere for American export so that it could maintain the, the words imported on the label in, in the U.S., but you assume it's imported from Ireland, but it's not Wait, imported from Canada. they brewed it in Canada so that they could say it was imported? Awesome. Well, they brewed it in Canada because it was easier to get it logistically oh, okay. to the U.S. Yeah, you know. 
Okay. So they still brewed it in Ireland yeah. for other markets, but but it's an, but it is sneaky but though. It's an Irish stout that's imported, imported and you yeah. never say imported yeah. from where. Yeah, look, like they're a gigantic company. Yeah. Okay, they're not doing a lot of things that are like the most traditional, like uh, you know, the, the the happy, warm, fuzzy way of doing things. They're a big deal business, so I think they do a lot of good stuff because the the beer quality is yeah. excellent. I really enjoy drinking um, pretty much all of their their different stouts, but um, but yeah, they're there's some corners that are cut or, or fuzzed. <laughs> Guinness is just funny because it's. I don't think there's any country that's so. So I mean, I don't know if you'd say Corona. No, because there's other Mexican beers. There's there's few countries that are so heavily associated with one beer. Not that there aren't other Irish beers, and an Irish person would probably mm. be upset at me maybe for saying this. But mm. whenever someone goes to Ireland, it's inevitable that they're going to talk about drinking Guinness there. Yeah, Guinness is a big deal there for sure. There are a few other a few other you know, large breweries there that, that brew beers that are extremely important parts of the culture. But, you know, I mean, a kind of a cynical way of looking at, at Irish cultural history is that they were, you know, screwed over by the English, the hegemony of the, the English sort of faux imperialism of, of Ireland for centuries. And it's made it so that the Irish uh, economy and businesses were really stunted for a long time. And so there are not as many large exporting companies that you'd know of from Ireland as there are from from Britain, for instance, or I should say from England for that for that matter. And are there any other any other stouts that you recommend? Uh, not necessarily like straightforward. Any any there are so many good stouts out there. Uh I mean on one me. that I love that I will try to drink anytime I see it, um, despite the awful label on it. Uh sorry Mark Redrick. <laughs> it's a terrible label. Uh old number thirty eight stout from North Coast. Mm. I absolutely adore that beer. It's that's an American stout. So it has a lot more bitterness. And that's a sort of stout where you can taste the, the hop aromatics. In it. Oh, really? You can smell smell those hop aromatics. Yeah. So American stouts, American porters, uh, you know, like most American style craft beers from the 1980s and 90s, we're taking old world, or I should say old school styles of beer and adding a bunch of American hops to them. So more bitterness and more hop aroma. And that's just a great beer. Awesome. So yeah, love that one. Sierra Nevada stout. Excellent. Ooh. So old classic stuff there but yeah i mean every brewery nowadays you know yeah, it, has a when, when they yeah when they decide to brew a stout that's not a big pastry stout or imperial stout and they toy around with some of the other stuff um they're usually interesting beers they're good beers mm-hmm. it's honestly it's not that hard to brew a good stout like any style of beer it's hard to brew an excellent version but stout is a pretty forgiving recipe and a pretty forgiving beer to, to be able to brew a decent one, a decent version of. I wouldn't ever say, especially like a more desserty or like sweeter stout is never my preference. But whenever I'm like a lot of the times at a brewery, if I'm going to get a flight, I like to just throw that guy on at the end. You know, the fourth mm-hmm. one is always going to be the one just for something different and weird and yeah. interesting. Uh-huh. It kind of just mixes yeah. it up. How about you guys? Oh, stouts, stouts you love? I, I know we were talking about doing a taste in it. I love old Rasputin. Awesome. That's a stout, yep. right? It's an imperial. It's a stout. Yep, yeah. that's an imperial stout. Yep. Yeah, I love it. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. The only stouts I guess I don't like. I don't buy a ton of like national stout. I buy a lot of like local stouts, and mm. locally here I like talk about these breweries way too much already. Uh, Pure Project and the brewery <laughs> oh, God, are two Project. breweries that do don't like around. Yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. do cool. The brewery's interesting. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I have. A, I was. Yeah, I was. A member, I still have like a bunch of. Brews, and that's why I'm saying at winter time I'm going to break out like the 22 percent chocolate stout that I have in the Ooh. closet from the brewery, and mm-hmm. uh, we'll start. We'll talk about that stuff. But yeah, also yeah. a Guinness. I will. Or I like ordering a Guinness. 
that's one of the ones yeah well so time. so guinness draft is is the main guinness that people talk about but you know there's also guinness extra uh extra stout which is great it's a little bit more alcohol a little bit more intensity richer there's uh there's foreign ex, ex sorry foreign extra stout which is also great um tropical stouts we haven't even talked about tropical stouts but those are generally a little bit sweeter quite roasty quite strong by eight percent alcohol and quite sweet and a lot of people are amazed to hear that people drink stouts in the tropics um but it's a big part of beer culture in all throughout the caribbean as well as like like lion stout is brewed in sri lanka and it's a fantastic beer wow. so um yeah a lot of fun uh stouts coming from places that you associate with hot weather but it's just sort of proof that like hey hot doesn't mean you can't drink dark beer. Yeah, drink a stout anytime you want. If you That's take right. anything away from this, it's one, that beautiful origin story of stout that I related to you. Two, <laughs> oyster stouts for Larry. Yeah, brew more oyster stouts. <laughs> Three, drink a stout anytime. We'll stop it there. Obviously, again, we'll come back to stouts again. Uh, but that's it for this episode. Uh, I'm Maddie Smith. You can find me on Twitter at, at Maddie Smith with two Fs. F is in uh, Founders Kentucky Breakfast Stout. Uh, Larry? The Talented Mr. Bates or Talented Mr. Bates. Just, you know, one of them. Twitter and uh, Instagram. Uh, I'm at a pub near you. Beautiful. That's lame. <laughs> I'm not really, I'm like off social media now. Yeah, I have I'm, accounts. Find me at Multi Rich, but I haven't done anything in over a year. I'm about to say. We want to congratulate Rich for being off social media. Hopefully one day we'll all be there. <laughs> you know, hit us up if you have any suggestions or any questions or anything like that. Uh, you know, Twitter at Liquid Red Pod. Uh, email us at twi- liquidbreadpodcast at gmail.com. Look for our upcoming taster. Oh. oh our spreadsheet, our list of beers. Oh, thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Um, we had a wonderful listener who had asked about if we had any sort of resource, any sort of spreadsheet or anything that, like that of beers that we'd recommended and that Rich had recommended, something to like bring up when you're like at the grocery store looking for a good beer. Uh, and we're getting that together right now, um, and we'll, we'll, we'll post that soon as a handy resource for, for you guys to look up uh, some nicely recommended it's, beers. It's ready. Is it ready? I mean, it will be by, by the time this airs, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah I didn't want to commit. I, <laughs> I took the time today. There's a bit.ly link. This is what I'm promoting these days, folks. Uh, bit.ly slash liquid bread. What? Oh, no. I was going to say, Rich loves bit.ly. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm all about bit.ly. Bit.ly slash liquid bread pod beers. Sounds like a mouthful. And it is if you drink. It beers. is a mouthful if you're Great. drinking right. If you're um, drinking right, yeah. And we'll tweet and we'll post that link so you guys have that. Um, and we'll keep on. We'll we'll start adding uh, all the beers that we mentioned to that list. Uh, that's it for today. Go grab yourself a stout. Look out for our next taster, which will be a stout beer. And until next time, happy beering. Happy beering. Happy. Beer. Happy beering. <laughs> 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 Did you hear my voice crack? <laughs>